This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. It's me, Rich Bradbury, and of course, welcome to the all-new Resource Center, your one-stop shop uh, for insights and strategies to help build, manage, and grow your business. And today on the show, AI is back in the spotlight yet again, Uh, but we're going to be looking at it from a slightly different perspective as we take a look at what policies are out there to provide the right AI governance here in Malaysia and why AI governance training is essential for today's data professionals. Now, why is having these training programs important for business? According to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, that's the OECD, there are currently more than 1,600 AI policies globally, and this is likely to increase as AI continues to develop and transform the business landscape. In line with that, the AI governance market is also expected to grow by a compound annual growth rate, CAGA, of 52% between 2024 and 2032. Taking this into consideration, it's particularly important for us to understand why providing necessary training to data professionals is needed so that all these new and innovative AI systems can be successful in line with the all new AI related laws or government policies expected to come up this year. With that on the show, I'm speaking with my good old friend, Alvin Toe, co-founder and chief marketing officer, CMO of Straits Interactive, on the importance of AI governance training, how companies are using generative AI to improve their data protection, and what AI policies we could see here in Malaysia in 2024. In the meantime, if you have any thoughts or questions, you can get us on our U-Mobile WhatsApp number, 18 or just reach out to us on X at BFM Radio. Alvin, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you very it, much for having me. It's been a while since I've seen your face. How are you? Fantastic. And it's such an exciting year for AI for us as well. My word, Alvin, the, the last, I don't know how many months it's been, and I, I maybe six, seven, eight months, and I, and I joke about this a lot. It, it's been non-stop literally non-stop every conversation that i'm having at some point has ai embedded into it um whether it's a product launch whether it's a uh, a government policy announcement whether it's you know a banking announcement ai has got its pause in everything right now right exactly i think 2024 you will see ai um you know, be very prevalent, especially in the workplace. Uh, like mm-hmm. just now we're talking, you can't get away from it. It might be hidden. It may be called mm-hmm. different things. Uh, some of it is called uh, intelligence or maybe it's just some sort of augmented capability. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the word AI now, uh, we probably offer a better term instead of artificial intelligence, augmented intelligence. Uh-huh. Well, okay, let's stick with that term then. Well, we, and we, we can explore that a little bit later on, but let's jump straight into it. Give me a, a, an overview, I guess, of, of the types of AI governance or, or policies that are currently being implemented in Malaysia, uh, Malaysian businesses. Just a simple question to start off with. <laughs> okay, with my Superman X-ray vision. <laughs> well, at this point, I think it's still very new, right? Yeah. Um, the word governance I think so far it's been a lot of corporate governance. Last year, you and I spoke about data protection. It was interesting mm-hmm. when you actually mentioned the stats about the growth of data governance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have just completed, we run something called Data Protection Excellence Network, my research arm and education arm. 
And we are about to publish this. So this is fresh news, guys. Uh, when we just look at Singapore market, right, which is actually a good um, precursor for the developing markets here. In terms of the jobs or data protection, data governance, did you know that the data governance job, that means they specify the word data governance, uh, professional or officer, grown by 173% last year, right? While data protection dip a little bit. What does this mean? In Singapore, you know, it's a bit ahead of the curve with the other ASEAN countries in terms of data protection officer requirements and stuff. Mm. And to see a 173% increase in a data governance job, that's fantastic. Why? Part of this is also driven by what we are seeing right now, AI coming mm. into the mainstream. So yeah. the scope of just compliance now has grown to governance. So we'll talk a bit more about what is involved in governance. And the, interestingly enough, this 173% increase in data governance jobs, there were a 300% increase in terms of demand for senior officials uh, doing this role. Previously, data protection officers, um, you know, they didn't really have a specification of how senior you are. Most of them were about middle management. Yeah. What we saw in data governance, they want now senior uh, people in the role. So that's actually a good career path for those who are looking at compliance, looking at going to governance. Mm -hmm. So just wanted to back you up in terms of what you saw globally, what we're seeing in Singapore right now, pretty much will actually cascade to the other countries in ASEAN because each of the laws in the countries right now are so specifying data protection and moving towards data governance. Mm. And it, it, do you see it reflected not just in Singapore and, and Malaysia, of course, but do you see it reflected up, up in Thailand, up in Indonesia? Is it a similar kind of uh, case over there? Well, they are, they are maybe one wave behind. So we will see the data protection uh, need first. So that tsunami will come because why? It's specified to their law. So Thailand, uh, Indonesia, where their laws are new and including now Vietnam, right? Um, mm. The data protection officer is worded into the law. So therefore, you know, a company will be looking, okay, where's this data protection officer fella, right? right. And they will, you know, there's nobody being trained at the university. So they will actually make sure that the skills are augmented as they are doing the role. So that's why we are doing the things we're doing. We have maybe like 30 courses mm. to augment the skills of a data protection officer in Singapore, in Malaysia, we train quite a number. Mm -hmm. So the next level after that is after you've done your data protection is the governance side, the data governance. So data yeah. governance then covers more than just compliance. The way we break it up typically is that compliance is about managing risk, right? So data protection is more managing risk. Governance, data governance, is about increasing value while managing risk. Yeah. So businesses are more amenable to that because with AI, you have this sort of a quandary, right? Um, do I use it? Is it dangerous, right? So if it's risky, do I not use it? So there's this debate going on, which is in the first time in the world, we are seeing all governments globally are looking at regulating one technology in the same year, which is AI. Mm -hmm. Never happened before, mm -hmm. right? Every other country, they're talking about it, whether they implement it this year, next year, but everybody's talking about it. And we were talking just now, right? It, in UK, they held a meeting, it's called the Bletchley Park meeting, yeah. where a lot of governments were in there talking about governing AI. So you're talking mm -hmm. about the posture of, you know, what is going to govern a policy. Mm. Right now, uh, in Singapore, they're taking a light touch approach, okay? Um, but they are taking a stronger approach. I think Malaysia will do the same, which is 
governing AI, especially where it's more harmful, where you're dealing with deep fakes, yeah. we're dealing with personal data. So uh, in the U- EU, we, they have the law called the GDPR. Automated yeah. decision-making is a big deal out there. Yeah. Here, we don't have a law governing that, right? Mm-hmm. And for that, that's where it crosses over into, hey, hang on a minute. How are you using AI to profile people and making decisions? You need to be right. transparent. Yeah, yeah. So, we will see probably Malaysia will take on that in terms of governing AI right now. I think Malaysia is right now trying to make sure that with the uh, initiative that Anwar just announced, right? Where there's uh, AI untuk rakyat. Mm-hmm. Firstly, to educate the public on the base level. Okay. Then governing AI probably with more of those guys who are in R&D right now. I know YTL just announced they're going to uh, launch uh, a major data center that's AI with NVIDIA based in Johor, right? Major investment there. So that yeah. one is still in the realm of R&D firms that are using it. So for what we will see, probably the governance of AI will be more in terms of those who are doing R&D, um, not so much the guys who are not doing for mass business yet. But mm-hmm. in terms of the guys who are doing a lot of processing of data, I will give you these six principles, which is quite common to what companies are looking at, also the regulators. The six principles are ethical principles of governance. Okay, so what do you want to look at? First, you need to be transparent. Mm. Secondly, you need to have security. Mm. Thirdly, it needs to have safety. Fourthly, it needs to have human-centered values. Fifth, it needs to be inclusive. Mm. Right, And so these few principles are what governs how people look at uh, ethical governance of AI. And the interesting thing is that usually compliance is about doing things right. Ethics is about doing the right thing. Mm. So yeah. in companies where you are audited is doing things right. Doing the right thing that's at the board level and that sometimes is discretionary. Yes. Um, I want to touch on that a little bit later on. Uh, and it's interesting that you, you brought up the, the, the Bletchley Park meeting as well and, and that discussion about how um, regulation of AI is going to be signed into law perhaps a little bit later on. And like you say, they're taking a very strong approach to AI. My concern with that is AI has advanced so quickly over the past few months that once you sign something into law it becomes a law yet um and that in some in some ways restrict the advance of technology because it's a law where these things can't happen or you know whereas taking a kind of softly softly approach that singapore might be taking malaysia might be taking just kind of watching how things happen over in europe seems to me to be the smarter way of doing things i i would suggest i might not be right but that's what i would think is is perhaps the better way of doing things would you agree with that yeah i guess if you look at the motivation uh of the two blocks right how even just on the foundation uh motivator for our data protection laws Mm. in the eu the data protection uh law is a fundamental human right yeah yeah ours here is very much driven by commercial means it's mm-hmm. not because uh, you know we are very concerned about your human right privacy situation. It's about that it's not mis- being misused by commercial firms, mm-hmm. right? And 
in Europe, why is such a strong human rights situation? Because they've seen it in World War II, how uh, personal data was misused against citizens for very nefarious means. Yeah. Out here, we treat privacy as, uh, okay, commercial firms shouldn't misuse personal data for, you know, means that harm the individual. Mm. So, rightly what you said, right? So, our treatment is always looking at, okay, uh, maybe we should have a lighter approach to allow innovation because uh, what's the harm to the consumer right now? Mm. Mm. It's not the human right harm, right? Okay. Mm. So, and I think we are, we know that this animal, like you say, is evolving. So, the ASEAN block takes a more uh, nuanced or maybe more light touch approach because it's still developing in what we are seeing. In Europe, maybe it's a lot more advanced in terms of the implementations. Mm. And they've already seen how large-scale processing of personal data can go all right very quickly. So yeah. they actually have models, risk models built into the EU data uh, AI Act. And they have classified what kind of AI is risky and stuff. So we might take parts of it. And I think right now in Singapore, they have the whole spectrum. The ones that have a strong hand uh, in terms of the law will be something like deep fakes, mm -hmm. right? The one they have light touch, okay, you're researching on something additional, they give you a sandbox to play with it, right? They give you certain guidelines and they work on guidelines, not by law, like you said, because once it's in stone, then yeah. you know, how do we keep updating it? Yeah. Okay. Let's take a short break, Alvin. Um, we're going to head into a short break, of course, and some messages we have. Uh, folks, I'm speaking with Alvin Toe, the co-founder and chief marketing officer of Straits Interactive, a data protection and privacy solutions company in the ASEAN region that provides training solutions for enterprises globally. And we've been talking about the different types of policies implemented for AI governance here in Malaysia and, of course, over in Europe. Up next, we're looking at some uh, perhaps misconceptions about AI governance and a little bit more. It's me, Rich Bradbury, of course. Keep it here on BFM 89.9, the business station. Beautiful, festive moments. BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for insights and strategies to help build, manage, and grow your business. I'm still here with Alvin Toe, the co-founder and chief marketing officer of Straits Interactive. They're a data protection and privacy solutions company here in the ASEAN region that provides training solutions for enterprises globally, and uh, we've been talking about different types of policies. Um, Alvin, just to, to move on a little bit, um, when we talk about Malaysian companies, um, who do you think they should be looking to uh, as a benchmark for AI policies uh, and for, for governance? Is there somebody, um, whether it be uh, regionally or, or worldwide, that we can look to and think, okay, well, they've got things right. Let's have a look at that and borrow something from them and apply it to what we do. Or are we still in that stage where, where it's kind of still fairly nascent and it's not like, okay, um, we, we need to borrow bits and pieces because it is fluid right now, right? Yeah, I think if you are, depending on where you are on the spectrum in terms of AI, they are the guys who are called, we, we look at the companies in terms of AI in three different segments. What we mm. call core technology people, clone, and then after that, uh, the combination types. Okay, so what I mean, core are the guys who are doing large language models, for example. Right. right? So, if you are doing that kind of research, then yeah, you look at what happened to OpenAI, right? Mm -hmm. they, they are the most visible. They are also the one that uh, faces the most uh, heat. So- They're the biggest to, target, yeah. Biggest target. And 
if you look at just last year alone, they were banned from Italy by the regulator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Yeah. And that was the privacy regulator and said, hey, hang on a minute. You use the data and it's automatically trained in the LLM. The, the citizens do not know that. Mm. So they were banned from Italy by the GDPR regulator. But a month later, they re-admitted back in. Yeah. So what's the lesson there? So they're putting controls in terms of you are able to opt out to make sure that your data is not being trained. Right now, if you use ChatGPT, if you didn't know, there's a setting there. If you want, if you opt out after 30 days, everything's deleted, mm-hmm. right? So that was one of the conditions. Next thing, your data mustn't be used for training and all that. So that's transparency and making sure that people don't uh, unknowingly uh, put sensitive data into the large language models and it become part of the training data set. Mm-hmm. So that's something for the guys if in Malaysia who are researching in that area. You know, many countries are rushing to produce some sort of large language models right now, right? Whether it's fine-tuned or, you know, take some of the open source uh, yeah. and then augment it with their data and then do they make it transparent if people are using, uploading their stuff, it's going to be used for additional training to make it more intelligent. So mm-hmm. that it will be one concern um, for that kind of company, right? The core companies who are doing uh, R&D and very core AI apps. Second one will be the um, combination apps. Those are the guys like Microsoft and all that where they augment AI in, right? So, you know, you have a co-pilots in, in Salesforce, in Microsoft and all that. So Microsoft is pretty transparent in, in the way they, they publish their uh, data governance. Okay, yeah. So they have their principles of how they use AI. Uh, in fact, co-pilots, before they were allowed to use in the company, uh, you actually have to go through their data governance app to ensure that all the data is tagged so that the AI actually queries this particular um, central repository to see whether can it actually query that file. Because mm. you might be in marketing, you shouldn't be querying stuff that is in the HR. Right. Yeah, for sure. So they have that, you see, and they have the labeling to do that. And so I will say Microsoft is a good one uh, to look at in terms of how transparent they are in enabling enterprise level kind of um, declaration of how you should uh, enable your AI, right? Mm-hmm. And they do, they do are quite transparent about it. And so combination apps are the people who now put AI into the uh, base apps. The last one is probably the most dangerous. <laughs> These are like, oh, the clones. These guys do the wrappers, you know, the, the ones on the Chrome web stores and, and the app stores. Yeah. So these guys, they, they could be like two-man shop, right? They copy and paste their privacy policy from don't know where. And, um, and that's where we, we found troubling because when we actually scanned the top 100, um, big majority have suspect, even they say, oh, we comply with GDPR, but uh, in, uh, after that declaration, when we look further in terms of permissions that they declare, they don't match up. So right. um, I would say, you know, if it's enterprise apps you're developing, Microsoft probably is a good one to look at. Salesforce, you know, um, these guys are heavy investors in this area. The big banks are doing that. I'm not sure about the declaration, but I know the, the Salesforce, Microsoft guys are very transparent about it. Mm-hmm. Then um, OpenAI, uh, despite all their heat, is probably a good lesson for us because they usually the ones that gets the most arrows. Right. But the combination app, guys, if you are doing any rapper apps, which many, I guess, many of the people in uh, startups, if you are in Malaysia, uh, you want to be looking at the ones that are a bit more solid. If you're going to put any sort of uh, 
uh, labels of privacy policy, make sure you have one that's solid, that's complied to Malaysia. Don't just anyhow copy and paste from a generator. And then, you know, in the app store itself, you got to declare what you collect and what you process. Mm-hmm. Make sure it matches because uh, we have seen people declare on their privacy policy one thing. When we went and look at their app, it does a whole different thing. And right. that's what gets you in trouble. Yeah. So one of the lessons, I guess, is do not use ChatGPT to write your privacy policy for you. Uh, after you've done all your work, you can just chat GBT to purify it. You shouldn't be the one generating the base. <laughs> Lesson learned. Okay, um, I, I guess then just before we take another break, what could be, do you think, um, and, and this, I, I guess, is based at both consumers and businesses when it comes to misconceptions about AI governance. Um, what do you think some companies might have? Uh, common misconceptions, perhaps. About AI governance? Well, yeah. I guess... Depending on um, which side of the fence you are. So if you are a consumer, some people may have misconception on AI governance. Consumer may not know as much out here right now, right? Some may fear it that, oh, hang on a minute. You might be uh, taking more data. And and I guess when they see the effects, I'll give you an example of, Mm. um, this was years ago. When a lady went, when a girl went around shopping in the in in uh, in the big shopping mart in in the U.S. and through their data analytics, they see her patterns seem to point to somebody who's pregnant, and this they send some pregnancy um, supplements and all that to the house, and the father open it. Oh, uh, and then she, what on earth you sending this kind of stuff to my teenage daughter? Right. right? Well, guess what? She mm-hmm. was pregnant. Wow. Wow. Power yeah. analytics, huh? So yeah. he, at first, he was very, very uh, indignant and then uh, call up the, the, the chain and say, what on earth you're doing all this thing? And then, of course, um, when he found out, you know, wow. But that shows the power of prediction. And if you do this, it's spooky, right, to the consumer. Yeah. Yeah. And then what's the advice of governance? So I think if the consumer realizes that you are trying to profile them and making decisions on their behalf or recommending things that are a bit spooky to them, then you have this issue. Mm. That's where the, that's not talk about the ethical principles, transparency, accountability. You mean you explain your algorithm, you need to be transparent in declaration. On the company side, um, I guess the issue is that some management may, may think, ah, it's a nice to have, you know, okay, there's no law. Why should I do it? Right. Mm. And, uh, and, this AI governance thing is still wishy-washy, so they may not even have it. But to ask the question later is what happened to, to uh, ChatGPT, right? Mm. They survived when the regulator blocked them from country. I don't know how many mm. of our companies here will survive if you, if you got blocked from a market. That's right. Yeah. Right. So you don't want to be finding out and then trying to reverse back. You may not have a second chance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hold that thought, Alvin. Um, as we have to go to a few messages, of course, and head into another break. Uh, folks, I am speaking with Alvin Toe, co-founder and chief marketing officer of Straits Interactive. They are a data protection and privacy solutions company here in the ASEAN region that provides training solutions for enterprises globally. Uh, we've been talking about some common misconceptions on AI governance uh, from uh, and some different policies implemented here in Malaysia and elsewhere. After the break, we're going to look at some of the programs that have been implemented in Malaysia. Of course, Alvin did uh, refer to one a little bit earlier on, uh, and we'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes. BFM 89.9. Big Friendly Macha. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 
BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for insights and strategies to help build, manage, and grow your business. It's me, Rich Prebury, of course. I'm still speaking with Alvin Toe, co-founder and chief marketing officer of Straits Interactive. Um, now, we've been looking at um, some of the policies that we've spoken about. One thing that we haven't really touched on, apart from a, a quick mention earlier on, um, was some of the programs that have been introduced. Uh, now, in Malaysia, of course, uh, the Prime Minister recently launched AI on Top Rakyat, a uh, self-learning online program designed to raise public awareness about AI and artificial intelligence. Um, how effective do you see such government programs in encouraging AI governance here in Malaysia? Yeah, I think it's a good initiative. It's, I guess it begs the question in terms of digital literacy and access at the common person's level, right? Uh, the content is there. Um, so it probably requires, I understand he's required the civil service to all do it. So that's probably a first good step. Okay. For the public, if it's optional, um, I'm not sure how motivating it is right now because I can see him on the FAQ is people looking for <laughs> some sort of certification. Does it get them anywhere? Um, so on what we've seen is you probably want to hit business users first because at the public side, it's a bit harder because they must see the benefit. So when we actually approach AI, right, even we talk to companies, we use three pillars to look at it. We call yeah. the VRC, right? We look at value. You need to hit on the value of AI and especially use case. Then you can talk about the risk and then the compliance. In this particular curriculum, I look at it, they try to cover that. Um, but what is the motivation to do it? I understand when there's a mandated at the civil service, they probably will do it and they give a timeline and there's some sort of recognition. At the public space, probably certain sectors, you may want to like encourage them um, or at the public level to have workshops. Uh, in Singapore itself, they try to do a few things, right? Um, they have activity drivers in certain industries. Uh, they do people and communities kind of uh, organization. It's very ground grassroots, right? Right, yeah. And I think in Malaysia, the, if I look at the AI strategies that are published from 2021, there's the governance side, advancing R&D, escalating digital infrastructure, fostering AI talents, acculturating AI, and then the national ecosystem. This um, e-learning piece, I think it's good that they started at the government level. Maybe mm -hmm. that will have traction. Private sector, probably certain sectors, they are maybe doing work in this area. Public level, I think it will be an interesting challenge unless you have certain communities driving it. Yeah. I think Ucom and all those people may do that. Um, and maybe in schools. Mm. I think that's a great idea. Having it in schools, uh, we, we need to be at that point now. You know, it, it, we can't just like in, in five or six years time say, oh, we, we should have done it in schools. We, I wish we'd have done it in schools. It has to start now. Exactly. So like um, hackathons and that is interesting because kids can prove themselves. And yeah. Give them some sort of award, you know, some cash awards, or maybe give them some sort of internship somewhere. Um, these things then raise the profile, right? When it's fun, it's immediately yeah. useful. It makes yeah. you look cool, right? Yeah. Or it appears uh, to improve your career. I think those will be motivators uh, to get people mm -hmm. on because e-learning for four hours, Richard, I'm not sure how, how long you step to any e-learning. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, I, I completely get behind that. I mean, and it's interesting as well because I've been speaking to people about the, the, you know, the lack of cybersecurity officers, um, which is a big deal as well, as we know. And getting kids involved in, in the interest of technology, the interest of artificial intelligence at an early age is, is 
absolutely productive and uh, renders wonderful economic dividends for countries moving further down the line. We know this. For sure. I mean, you look at Silicon Valley, right? People uh, hero worship yeah. the, the tech boys, right? Why? Yeah, yeah. Because they make good and, you know, uh, they, they get a lot of press. And, right? So we, it may have to be orchestrated in Malaysia. We do certain hackathons. We, you know, we profile some of these youth that are coming up. They did, and then give them some support to be able to do some startups. Um, mm. Once you have a few success stories, people will tend to uh, um, gravitate towards that. Uh, let's ho- hope they don't go towards the influencer route. <laughs> people are creating oh. all these AI influencers oh, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have seen that. I have seen that. Uh, now, okay. Uh, before we wrap up then, Alvin, I, I guess my, my last question for you is, um, uh, if we were to look at policies that we don't have and that maybe we should have, um, is there anything that you think can be brought uh, forward that would help us achieve successful AI governance in, in 2024 and maybe beyond? Yeah, so I think for businesses and what, what we've done at our Data Protection Excellence Network, we when we adopted AI into our own company, like ChatGPT, we measured the productivity increase in our company. We saw a 62% increase in productivity and we measured wow. it. Right. And from that practice, we then uh, roll out our SOP and what can and cannot be done in AI usage policy. So companies, mm-hmm. uh, if you're data protection or you're compliance professional, you want to look at this. First, you bring the AI in. You, you, first, you must be educated on the usefulness of AI, the value part. Yeah. So you understand, oh, for HR, it's useful with this or learning development or legal. Then you can introduce in terms of what the risks Educate yourself what the risk. So we teach you about the duty this. Mm. Then you can deduce, okay, these are what's allowed in an AI usage policy, which can be updated. So like my guys, they want certain apps, they go to my IT folks, and then we review them and we say, okay, this can be done. This one, yeah. yes, but dot, dot, dot. Great. They accept it because they understand why we allow certain things. So to that, that's why we have now launched, we believe the best way for you guys to take on AI, especially general business is to take on AI assistance. It's not ChatGPT. It's, it's AI assistance. It's like what the OpenAI has launched, the GPT store, right? It's actually mm-hmm. very custom functions, uh, GPTs. So what we introduced, something called Capybara. We work with Microsoft on this, where we have a secure environment for you to be able to use purpose-built AI assistance. So for example, HR can have three assistants. One, to write the job ads, which is usually they have, you know, scanty requirements from job from the hiring manager, the AI itself can write up something that is uh, fully fleshed out. Then when they receive a lot of CVs, the AI can review the CV against job description, against the profiling, and give them the interview questions to ask. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, yes. Right? You see? I, so could, that's I could awesome. totally use that for my interviews. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? <laughs> and um, yeah, so Kishan, you know, it can be multiplied. Yeah, yeah, and- yeah. I might not even need Kishan. <laughs> Sorry, Kishan. You know I'm joking. <laughs> so that kind of processing information, an information intensive job, right? Imagine now you can have three assistants. So that's mm. what people want to bring on. So that's what we introduced something called CAPA BARA, C-A-P-A, right? BARA. And that is allowing people to use assistant, but in a secure environment, what most people are struggling right now is that, can I use ChatGPT in an organization? How do I share this thing, this spouse? This spouse go up there. Right now, when we use the GPT store, we can upload copyright materials and it doesn't flag anything. Yeah. 
So people are launching these GPTs, GPTs themselves. They are loading documents that may have copyright and you could be subjected to certain, certain actions down the road. So mm-hmm. we, ourselves, we say, okay, it has to be a controlled environment because enterprise don't want to have any surprises down the road. Make sure it's secure and it, it's firewall. You can share chats, which is used what people want. You can share documents that's only passed through certain due diligence internally mm. so that you can query against your body of knowledge. That's when it's useful, right? Mm. So we see that after that, then that's where the usage and governance uh, is useful because people are bought into the usefulness of the AI. Then they know what can and cannot be done. Then they won't be so um, heavily about, oh, no, I think I'll just go use a free chat GPT. It doesn't matter. Like, nobody knows. Then I'll just right. upload stuff there, right? That's what you yeah. don't want. You want to educate them, them, but you also want to give them a structure that is safe, secure, and functional with mm-hmm. assistance that helps them. Mm. So essentially, it's a um, a, a sandbox, uh, a yeah. company-wide sandbox. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yes. Alvin, thank you very much for your time today. Some very insightful stuff today. Thank you very much. Always enjoy talking to you. Me too. Uh, folks, I've been speaking with Alvin Toe, the co-founder and chief marketing officer of Straits Interactive. Uh, if you miss any part of this podcast, of course, don't forget you can download it wherever you normally get it from. I recommend using the BFM app. That's available in the Apple App Store. But don't go anywhere because up next, we have the 12 p.m. news bulletin. And of course, it's Enterprise Explores. And that's the show that helps you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. So stay tuned for that. But of course, I'm Rich Bradbury. Keep it here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.